Chapter 7, the pain of rejection. Rejection is real. I don't know if you caught in Benji's story, when he was a teenager, he slept in a car for three days, and his father knew that he was in the car and would walk past. Talk about rejection. That's real. That's deep. Let's look at this. Let's read this first story here on page 38, the italicized part. Story about Bob Mumford. He wrote a book called Agape Road. He says, When I was 13 years old, my parents were in the middle of an ugly divorce, and I had been visiting my father in Tampa, Florida. As he was driving me home to Atlantic City, New Jersey, where I lived with my mother and five sisters, I, typically a know-it-all teenager, kept on arguing with him, heatedly defending my mother. We were nearing Baltimore, Maryland, when the argument became overly intense. Suddenly, he stopped the car and said, get out. I thought he wanted me to see if we had a flat tire, so I walked around the car to check out the problem. When I got to his window, he rolled it down, and I leaned toward him so he could tell me what he thought what was wrong with the car. With rage on his face, he looked at me and said, you are no good. You never have been any good. You will never be any good. He rolled up the window and drove away, leaving me standing by the side of the road more than 100 miles from home with less than a dollar in my pocket. You may not have a story as extreme as that, but you have definitely experienced some form of rejection in your life. If you have a pulse, someone has rejected you in some kind of way. It may be severe, it may be subtle, but we've all experienced this. Let's pray. Father, come before you tonight in the name of Jesus. And God, I just pray that you would begin to work upon our hearts. Lord, that you would begin to speak truth to us, that you would expose the lies and release truth. God, you desire truth in the inward parts. And sometimes it takes you revealing what's on the inside first before you can begin to insert the truth. So I pray that our hearts would be open to hearing you, to obeying you, and that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. The first part there, meaning of rejection. Number one, the act of throwing away. The act of casting off or forsaking. Refusal to accept. Number two, this is what Terrell Rowland says. Rejection is the denial of love and acceptance in our lives. When you thought love was coming, you thought acceptance was coming, and it was actually rejection. You put yourself out there just a little bit, and you got slammed right in the face. He goes on to say in the paragraph just right below there, second sentence, the most powerful positive force in the universe is the love of God. If, the, if love is the most powerful force in creation, it follows that lack of love is the most negative force in creation. And rejection is the denial of that love and acceptance in our lives. Proverbs 18, the spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? 
Edwin Lutzer said, frequently, this guy works a lot with emotional healing and discipleship. He said, frequently, rejection leads to demonic activity. I don't know of another emotion that is so often exploited by demonic powers. Overwhelmed by their rejection, people cannot seem to break out of their shells. Somehow, these feelings so color their thinking that they see no way out of their prison. Satan has bound them. So you go to the next page and look at sources of rejection. Okay, I can't name every example of rejection and what it all looks like and how it all plays out. It's all personalized. It's really personal. But sources, your parents or your guardians growing up, what did they do to you? Benji just shared what his father did to him. How did they reject you? What exactly happened? How did that make you feel? Number two, family members, your cousin, your aunt, your uncle, someone you you trusted in the family. What did they do? Number three, coaches or teachers. If you played any sports like myself, coaches can be extremely, extremely hard on you. Maybe it was a teacher that you really liked. They said something, embarrassed you in front of the whole classroom. And from that day, you started sinking. You started hating the teacher, and you shut your walls, closed yourself off, decided to never open up again. Number four, childhood friends. This could be intentionally or unintentionally. You hang out with friends, and they just kind of say things that cut you. And then they, next thing you know, they told all the other friends, and there you are. Everyone's looking at you, laughing at you, and you're the butt of the joke. Number five, present-day friends. What pastor rejected you? What leaders have rejected you to your face? Number six, self. Yeah, maybe there was some some rejection in your life. But what if you keep doing it to yourself? You just keep living in that. You keep rejecting yourself. You believe your experience is more powerful than the cross. You cling so much to all of your rejection, and the power of the cross is like, yeah. Therefore, you just keep living in rejection again and again. And number seven, the devil. The devil will definitely reject you. He will Give you the desire of your heart. He'll feed your flesh, and then he'll reject you. The fruit of rejection. We're just going to keep on moving on here. Remember, I said this at the very beginning. This stuff, all I'm doing is just trying to poke and prod, okay? I love you all, care about you, but we need to get our hearts right concerning the issue of rejection. So, because you've, been, you've experienced rejection, number one, You act rebellious. This is the connection point why Edwin Lutzer said in dealing with people who've suffered rejection, there's a lot of demonic activity because usually rejection leads to rebellion. You've been rejected, therefore you rebel, a.k.a. you open up the door to demonic activity. Therefore, All authority is evil and oppressive. You reject any kind of correction. 
It don't matter how they say it. It don't matter what they say. Any kind of correction, no. Your heart is hardened. You walk around angry at people. But anyone who's in authority is a definite no. Can't trust them. Definitely rebel from anyone who tries to bring correction to you, especially authority figures. Number, number two, because you've experienced rejection, you are stuck in sexual immorality. The reason you're stuck in sexual morality is because that's the only place you feel accepted. You feel loved. That's the only place you feel loved, appreciated, feel like you're worth something. Number three, you abuse substances. You find comfort in drugs, alcohol, whatever works for you. Get your fix. Number four, you live with an inability to receive love. You've rejected yourself. You don't believe others. You don't believe they like you. You don't believe they want to love you. You have accepted rejection as a reality in your life. So no matter what I say to you, no matter how much I tell you, I love you, God loves you, we love you, you simply just can't receive it. And that's because you're holding on to your rejection so much, you can't receive anything else. Number five, you do not do well at loving others. It's the, it's the simple principle, you can't give with what you don't have. You don't have any love inside of you, therefore you can't give it out to anyone. Typically those who do not do well at loving others, just going to be honest with you, you, you can be draining to be around. Well, some people probably don't like being around you because you just tend to suck the life out of people. That's not Okay. Number six, you're insecure. You need special attention all the time. Okay, if you're hanging out in a group, like your priority. If a group of people is making plans, you always need the special attention because you need to feel accepted in front of everyone. So when you hang out with groups, everyone kind of knows, okay, little Johnny's with us got to make sure he's like at the top of the list because otherwise he just kind of goes crazy. I don't think there's a little Johnny in here, so (laughs) that's your nickname. I'm sorry. Number seven, you withdraw. Okay, you make people chase you. You withdraw and You'll hide out until someone comes and finds you, and it's it's a repeated pattern. They always got to chase you. You can't seem to just face the problem or just come up front and tell someone what you need or what you're lacking. They have to chase you. Number eight, you act suspicious. Okay, you assume people's motives, and there's phrases like this I always get rejected. I never get invited to parties. I'm never included in the group. 
And I would venture to say that's probably not true. You probably do get invited, just not all the time. All right, so I'm in the, with, with young kids, there's so many birthday parties going on in this church, it's crazy. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, okay? Guess what? I'm choosing to not get offended if I don't get invited. Okay, it's not that they hate me, they don't like me, and I just take it as rejection. How could they? Do they know who I am? Okay, it's a kid's birthday party, Brandon. It's okay, it's, well, it's their birthday, not mine, okay? But we do that. I know we laugh, but there's, you know, there's certain outings and events we do as a, as a church, and, and maybe like, someone just genuinely just, you slip their, their mind. And they totally would want you to come, but you didn't get an invite. And therefore, you always get rejected. Everyone hates you. You never get an invite. We do that. We do that. Number nine, you fear failure. Because if you fail, you'll be rejected. Next page, page or number 10, because you've experienced rejection, it's the fear of man. You become a man pleaser, a people pleaser. You're more concerned about pleasing everyone else, even if the Lord told you no. Just can't seem to help it. You don't want to get rejected again. God forbid you get rejected again. And number 11, <clears throat> you fear correction. Anytime you sense correction, coming, sinking feelings of fear and anxiety begin to arise. You also can't tell the difference between correction and rejection. Number 11 is really, really important because we're going to talk a little bit more about this, but if, if you can't get a right paradigm in your mind, in your heart about correction, and you always gravitate towards rejection, you are really going to struggle in your walk with the Lord because he's never going to be able to bring correction to you. In other words, he can't love you because everything's, everything's rejection. And he just wants to make a little tweak. And we resist it and we just rebel against it. <clears throat> I wanted to say this, though. There are... are, are you can write this down probably on page 39. There's a little open area at the top of the page. But the main lies behind feelings of rejection. Here are four main things that, that come to play when it comes to rejection. Number one is that you're unlovable. The devil's going to tell you this. You're going to tell yourself this, but you've been rejected. Therefore, you're unlovable. Number two, you're un- unacceptable. In other words, you're not worthy. You're unacceptable. Number three, you're unwanted. I reject you because I don't want anything to do with you. You're unwanted. And number four, you're unimportant. You're not worth, you're not worth your parents' time. You're not worth their money. You're not worth their energy. To get those four down, unlovable, unacceptable, unwanted, unimportant.
<clears throat> and so there's probably some of you who have been rejected in a really deep way. And you're probably thinking, there's no way I'm going to get over this. I can't get over this. I'll never get over this. <clears throat> this next section here, I just want to put this out there before you. And it's simply this. Consider him. Consider Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. As Isaiah 53. John 1, it says, He was in the world and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Matthew 27, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was rejected by the Father so that we might not. So I want you to take all the rejection you have experienced no matter how deep or surface level it was, I want you to take it and I want you to consider Jesus. No one was more rejected than him. Okay, I'm saying that maybe just to you know, give you a dosage of humility because we like to hold on to stuff and we, I'm never going to let it go, but you need to start letting it go. Okay, you're not Jesus Christ. You haven't been what he's gone through. And here's the thing, Jesus doesn't minimize our rejection. Okay, he didn't say, hey, look at me, <laughs> you've been through nothing. No, no, no. He says, look at me and what I've been through, can't I pull you through that too? Maybe he knows what he's doing just a little bit. So what's really important is that we begin to learn about the Father's love and the Father's acceptance. Right? If rejection is a denial of love and acceptance and you're unwanted, you're unimportant, we need to learn that in Christ, we are loved, we are loved, we are accepted, we are wanted, we are important. So tonight, it's really an identity issue. You are identifying with a rejected position in the Lord when really you've actually been accepted in the Lord. Do you believe me? Look on page 41. The middle of the page. Look at these verses. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed or He's lavished on you and me that we should be called children of God. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, we actually rejected him. But he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Next one. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right or he gave the authority to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Think about that. As a son or daughter, he's given you a right. He's given you authority to approach him and to be loved by him. You can, you can approach the Father with boldness. 
which is totally opposite. You know, we have this mindset, he's rejecting me, he doesn't like me, God doesn't want me. And here he's saying, no, I've given you a right to be a son or daughter. Therefore, I'm giving you full access to me and my heart and my word. I'm giving you boldness to, to approach me. What else can I do to show you that you're accepted in the beloved? I'm giving you the keys to my heart. You can come enter in every time. Not a problem. But wait, Lord, my experience tells me my parents rejected me. Everyone rejected me. Therefore, you must reject me as well. Look at the next verse. For the Father, Jesus says this, for the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. It's really simple to walk in the Father's love. Just put your faith and trust in Christ. He's not asking for a whole lot here. If you love Jesus, if you put your trust and faith in him, if you're to be found in Christ, there's a love from the Father. So much love from the Father. So we have to ask ourselves, is God a liar? Is he a liar? This is an identity issue. Feelings of rejection is a major identity issue. You're holding on to it. Basically, you're saying, God, you're not who you say you are. Being found in Christ doesn't really mean a whole lot. I'm just a rejected person. I'm unwanted. I'm unimportant. I'm unloved. But the Word of God says something different. Look back over to page 40 there. Trusting the Father's discipline as acceptance and not rejection. Okay, this is huge because anytime correction comes, it's probably going to stir up feelings of rejection that you have experienced in the past. Okay, anytime rejection starts coming, or sorry, correction starts coming into your life from someone, it's probably going to stir up some kind of feelings about the past. And I remember as I was working on this material, I, I felt so strongly that we have to have a, a right paradigm about the Father's correction connected to his love. We have to. I, I, I'm, I'm like, I was so confident in that. I'm like, Lord, it almost feels like if you can't grab a hold of this, I don't know how long you will make it. Because he has to correct some things in you. You're not, you haven't, you're not perfect. Maybe you are, and maybe he just maybe this word is for me tonight. But there are some issues in you that have to get corrected. Even, even for you to step into freedom from rejection, you have to get corrected. So we're going to shift here. We're going to talk a little bit about the Father's discipline. We're going to talk about his correction. We're going to talk about his love. Okay, many believers interpret the Father's correction as a sign of his rejection. Why is this? Projection. They take the experiences they had with their earthly fathers or any authority figure growing up and project them onto God as Father. Since their earthly father responded with outburst of anger when they disobeyed, God as Father does the same. Since their earthly father whipped them severely, God as Father wants to do the same. And the list goes on and on. 
How do you see the Father respond to you when you do something wrong? That's a really important question. When you do something wrong, how do you see the Father responding to you? To help you develop the right view of the Father's discipline, you must learn how he disciplines and why he disciplines. Okay, this first, the next part we're going to talk about why, or, or sorry, how he disciplines. How he disciplines, one, this is the primary way he wants to bring discipline, correction, love into your life is through a personal, face-to-face relationship with him. If you sit down with the Lord, he will speak correction, he will speak discipline, he will speak his love and acceptance over you. But the key word is if. If you spend time with him, if you sit down with him, he will do it. The second one, through his word. If you read the word, this, this word right here will, will bring so much correction into your life. Just read it. Ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, help me to obey this word. He, he, he would love to just speak his correction and love over you through his word. The third way, through leaders in your life, whether it's through messages or through conversation. But I want to point out, it'd be really important to have a teachable spirit. If you're teachable, then you can receive love, you can receive correction from leaders. Number four, through brothers and sisters. A question for you. So for numbers three and four, for leaders and also brothers and sisters in Christ, how many hoops do I or does someone else have to jump through in order to bring correction to you? Like how, like how many hoops do I have to get through and then finally you'll have an open heart? I mean, do we to wait for it to not, you know, maybe on a is it Monday morning, it can only be on a Monday, and then you have to make sure that, you know, you have the, I have the right attitude, I say just with, I say the thing the right way, I got to make sure the, you know, the setting of the room is good, I got to make sure you didn't have an off day, I got to make sure like things aren't too crazy in your life before I, you know, bring a little correction, like what hoops do you have set in place? For someone, like, like say today, after this, someone wanted to come to you and bring correction to you. Would you be able to receive it, or, or would you say, hold on, I can't right now, I, I, I just can't, life's too crazy, uh, this, this, that, and the other. But we do that. And part of maturing in the Lord is that we would not do that so much, but that someone can come to us, and yes, they need to do it with the right heart, with the right spirit, with the right attitude, and all those things. Yes, they need to do that. But guess what? Sometimes they don't. But truth is truth. At the end of the day, if they're speaking truth, you need to be able to take a little bit of that and apply it to your life. But I've noticed this. I've noticed this, that we have these like barricades people have to get through, and then finally we'll receive correction from them. And maybe you receive correction from leaders well. But what about if it's someone in the body that you don't think is really honorable and respectable? 
Now, you think they're like lower than you, and you're like above them, so who do they think they are to bring correction to you because you're better than them, in other words? Right? They've been saved a year. You've been saved 10 years. What can they teach you? Nothing. But we do that. That's not okay. Okay, so any hoops or barricades you have up, can we just like take all those down? Can we be a, a, a community where we can bring loving correction, truthful correction to each other, and we not have to be like, hold on, it's, it's, it's not Monday, you can't talk to me like that. Like, only on Monday can you bring correction, or whatever, like, stipulations you have. Or, you know, you may say, brother, you didn't bring a verse with that. I need to see the Bible verse with that correction you brought. Otherwise, I can't receive it. (laughs) Tyree, I got correction for you, brother. Whatever it is, okay, whatever it is, I'm just asking you, can you put it down? And can we just be open? And here's the thing. The reason you have all those walls and hoops up, you're afraid of rejection. Fear. You're afraid you're going to be rejected again and again. So you got to block everything. And number five, he brings correction to us. He brings his love to us through life, through life situations through persecution, through physical sickness, through your boss who's not even saved. He's not even saved and he, he tells you, he corrects you about something. Tells you you're not doing the work the right way or whatever. But he brings correction to you. The Lord will, will definitely use that. Okay, let's look down. 17 reasons why the Father's discipline is a sign of His love. Hebrews 12 talks about for whom He loves, He disciplines. So He connects His love directly to His discipline. If you search the Word and you look up instances where it talks about discipline or correction, you're, you're going to find a benefit to that. And this is really important because in our minds we do not associate correction with love and acceptance from the Father. We don't do that. Okay? Correction means rejection, means you're unwanted, you're unacceptable, you're unloved, you're unimportant. Okay, guys, that's a lie. Let's look at these. And you can look at these verses to confirm it. He dis- his discipline causes you to grow in humility. His discipline produces life in you. His discipline produces holiness in you. His discipline helps produce fruit in your life. His discipline strengthens you to keep going. His discipline brings healing in your life. Number seven, his discipline prevents you from becoming wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Go read it, Revelation 3, 17. 
His discipline causes you to become rich in spiritual matters, okay? He may make you rich with money. He will do it through discipline. But he'll make you rich with a clean heart and clothed in righteousness. His discipline keeps you from being shamed and exposed publicly. You know, if you're, if you're unwilling to receive the Lord's correction and repent of something you're doing wrong, he'll use whatever means he has to to get you right and get you saved and keep you saved. And if that means he has to expose you publicly, that's what you see the leaders in the body of Christ. They got secret sin. They just keep avoiding it, hiding it. And what happens? It gets brought out publicly. That's not fun. Number 10, his discipline releases the spirit into your life. His discipline keeps you from going astray. His discipline keeps you from making stupid decisions. Hallelujah. You're in a little tiff with your spouse, and you're about to say something, and the Lord's like, don't you say that to your spouse. All right, you better listen. Because if you don't listen, not only will the Lord discipline you, then your spouse is going to have to discipline you. You'll be double trouble, okay? Okay, 13, his discipline brings honor to your life. His discipline makes you wise and produces understanding. His discipline keeps you from destroying your life. That's huge. His discipline drives foolishness out of your heart. Come on. This last one is huge. His discipline keeps you from going to hell. So, once again, anytime he disciplines you, you need to say, God, thank you for loving me. Oh, my gosh, you love me so much. It doesn't feel good. It hurts. I feel a little embarrassed. I feel a little whatever. That's, that's fine. But he's thinking big picture here. He's thinking from the beginning to the end. He wants to keep you on the narrow road. Therefore, let's give him permission to bring discipline in our lives. And as I mentioned, the way he, how he does that, he does that through a personal face-to-face and a prayer life. He does it through his word. He does it through leaders. He does it through friends. He does it through life situations. But we, man, we really, we really need to learn how to receive, how to, um, how to receive correction from brothers and sisters. We need to. If we're going to be a healthy community, Dave, Barry, myself, and the deacons, like we, we can't do everything and try to bring correction everywhere. That can't happen. I, I release you as a brother or sister in the Lord. If your brother sins against you, go and bring correction. Will you do that? I give you permission to do that. We can be a community that does that the right way, with love and with truth. Okay, so here we go. We're going to step into a time of prayer. So what I... How we're going to go about this tonight is how we've done it before. So behind your rejection, there is a lie. 
behind your rejection, there's a lie. That you are unloved, that you are unwanted, you are unacceptable, you are unimportant. That is the lie you're believing. And you're taking that lie and you're applying it to your walk with the Lord. And some of you may have been raised in a really good home and there maybe wasn't a whole lot that happened and you're going to minimize, I wasn't really rejected. But no, if you have felt that, it's real. That's your reality. It doesn't have to be super traumatic and you know, like with Benji, you know, you slept in the car for three days and no one, you know, your dad didn't look at you. It doesn't have to be super dramatic. But as long as it's real to you, that's worth getting your heart right with the Lord. And so you're going to come up, you're going to respond, you're going to come forward. <clears throat> as you pray, one of the core team members are going to be with you in prayer. But I, it's really important for you to, to know the situation that happened and for you to identify what was that emotion? Lord, I felt so unloved. I felt so, like, stupid. I felt so, get it out there. What was it? And then you need to renounce that lie. Lord, I felt that way, but your word says, I'm loved. Your word says, I'm accepted. Your word says nothing can separate me from your love. Lord, I'm in Christ. Like you have to step into that. So if we could all stand and you want to throw some music on. <clears throat>